Alan Foreman, found your host here in the studio with me, John Krieg. And Charles Golden. We're broadcasting live from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, here in the uh, studios of La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. Uh, later in the program, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about how Republicans are going to take another run at repealing and replacing the ACA. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to analyze Donald Trump's boasts about the economy. Some might say they're hollow. We'll also talk about Maria uh, Butina. And that indictment of her, that um, it's really not so much about sex, it's about, well, guns, Christians, and the Trump-Putin connection. We'll talk about that in the program as well. I want to take a second to uh, recognize uh, some of the, uh, the local businesses in the Des Moines Metro that helped make this uh, program possible through their underwriting support. Uh, underwriting for this program provided by Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. Gateway offers a full line of grocery items, a catering service, and a cafe open for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Underwriting also provided by Diversity Insurance. Diversity Insurance is located at uh, 1541 East Grand in Des Moines, and uh, they'll supply, uh, they, they, they cover policies for home, car, property, life, and more. Visit uh, MyDiversityInsurance.com. All right, so again, with, with me in the studio, uh, John Krieg, an avid bicyclist. Uh, Charles <laughs> Goldman, an avid uh, user of large vehicles, uh, <laughs> and myself, Ed Fallon, an avid, avid user of, uh, of Echo uh, walking shoes. Anyway, um, you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh had coined the phrase uh, "feminazi," which is offen offensive on so many levels. But it, it, the 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 compliment was that, uh, that women and others who are passionate about the rights of women. And, uh, you know, we can't call ourselves uh, pedo-Nazis or bike-Nazis, but God, I think we are we are passionate about, uh, we need a new term, yeah. or some, something to describe us as the defenders of those who travel on two, whether it's two wheels or two feet. And um, this is particularly important now in light of a new study that came out that shows that SUVs are the big reason why we've seen a huge escalation in the number of pedestrian deaths. And, um, you know, that might translate into bicycle deaths as well. We just had one three blocks from me this weekend mm -hmm. uh, where a cyclist was killed. Uh, that story is still a little bit a little bit um, under investigation. The allegation that at 1 in the morning the, uh, the, um, the uh, bicyclist may have run a red light. And, I, again, I think more questions should be asked because, for some reason, the driver of the SUV took off, didn't stay. Didn't you didn't didn't even try to provide any aid to the person who was hit? So we'll see where that goes. But uh, this is happening more and more frequently, just not just with bikes, but with pedestrians, and especially when it comes to SUVs with pedestrians, because SUVs are designed in such a way that when they hit a pedestrian, they're more likely to kill you than just make you, you know, break a leg or make you feel uh, miserable for a few months. So, um, John, again, you're um, you know, you're you're out there on your bike a lot. And um, and yet, yet one day a couple of years ago, you found yourself at a Hummer dealer. What was that all about, man? <laughs> well, well, it actually it was uh, two actually <laughs> actually two thousand seven. I checked it out. It's been that long ago. Well, it just seems uh, like yesterday. Yeah, give me. I'll give you the backstory. I'll be I'll be quick. The Des Moines uh, Triathlon used to give uh, a Hummer to the uh, uh, winning male and female athlete in the uh, event. And I wrote a letter to the editor, the register, saying, "Why in the world are we honoring the you know top physical health person with such an environmentally disastrous prize?" 
And the Hummer dealer wrote back a letter to the and editor. First of all, the Register actually published. They it. published it. Yeah, it was a short little, it was a short little cut. You know, Register published it. The Hummer dealer wrote back and said, "Well, John Craig obviously doesn't know what he's talking about," which you know many people well, said. Yeah, I mean, we would all, all of us would agree yeah, to granted, that. Granted, granted that. Uh, but he inv- he said that uh, Hummers are much more environmentally responsible than, say, a Prius. And uh, how? Well, he said that it's it's <laughs> less to manufacture or something like that. Anyway, he invited me out for a test drive, and obviously, if I'd had a test drive, then I would know what I'm talking about, right? Right. So I rode my bike. I accepted the offer. The gauntlet was <laughs> laid down, thrown down. I accepted the offer. I biked out to the uh, Hummer dealership. No longer exists. Thank, <laughs> thanks, to, thanks to my activism. Uh, rode out. Shutting down Hummer shut, dealerships one at a one time. One at a time. Yeah, that's right. They don't make Hummers anymore. I mean, again, it was they couldn't survive. They, they, really, they don't make them at all anymore. Not to my knowledge, they don't well, do. Yeah. Okay. So I rode out there, and I along with a registered reporter. And um, and so they wrote it. They, the re- reporter was along, photographer was along. Now, did, and the, I, did the Hummer dealer know you were, you were touting yeah. press with him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It was all set up. And uh, I went out there, inter- had a little interview, and I and, and the guy was pleasant. I mean, we, we, were, we were jocular. Uh, but then I got behind the wheel and I test drove a Hummer. And did you uh, uh, did you strap your bike to the back of that Hummer? Was there a rack on it? No, no, there was. Oh, I don't okay. think there was. No, he but, stopped it to the machine gun mounted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've, Just, I've actually ridden in the real thing. The one that yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Well, well, it was in the, the military. Thing. It was in the military. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So is that where the Hummer was first designed for? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. It's a military. All, ma- yeah. All, all those yeah. pictures from Iraq. Right. Right. Those those are all Hummers. And there's an obvious need for that kind of equipment in Des Moines, Iowa, to take your empties back to what. Doll, I could have dolls at the time. Now, well, Brad, no, you know. no, the SUV has always been the ultimate manifestation of capitalism, which is, is to make you want something you absolutely don't need. Right. I mean, the first <laughs> the first SUVs were, you know, it was the Ford Explorer, 1970s. It was advertised by showing the vehicle riding through some pristine Sierra stream, and it was all about uh, testosterone. It's yeah. all about, you know, getting off-road and showing how manly you are or feminine-manly you are. Taking control of that stream. Right. And smacking that stream. It's always been about place, a- right? environmental exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I would add to that, I think it's also, Charles, I think it's also fear. I, I think, uh, you know, there are two things that American capitalism does, is, is it makes people very afraid, be very afraid of all these different things, and go shopping. So right. So when you go, you go, you drive a Hummer. You're in the or or any SUV. You're in this big, huge, hulking, heavy piece of metal that uh, makes you feel like you're more secure. But the, of course, the as we're talking about this at the story, price but, at the price of everybody else on the road, both and pedestrians, the bicycle, you know, yes. bicyclists, the planet, yes. and well, the other they drivers. Just get, they just need cars. to get their Hummer or their SUV as well. I mean, everybody just uh. needs to have one. Uh, no. <laughs> Actually not. Wait, did you detect sarcasm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so this study, though, it's, it's done by the Detroit Free Press and USA Today, and it showed that 6,000 pedestrians died in 2016. That is a 46% increase over 2009. That's huge. And so, you know, at first blush, you could say, well, there's all sorts of reasons for that. People are walking dumber. I don't know. But the, uh, the study is pretty clear about the fact that, uh, that this is actually this study is consistent with what was um, shown by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety and also the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Those two studies blame SUVs for the higher death rate among pedestrians since 2009. And uh, and. Uh, you know, I, and of course, the automotive industry is pushing back. They don't want any, and they're even they're even very specific um, uh, changes recommended, uh, points of analysis recommended, and the and, and the industry is pushing back against that because apparently it's a lot more productive and lucrative to sell an SUV at a higher price than you could sell a car for, and the heck with the pedestrian deaths that come with that. 
Oh, it's it's very it's very concerning. Ed. I mean, one of the one of the recommendations was uh, you could have that uh, um, the threat to pedestrians could be considered as part of the safety standard of what a car or how it's measured. How right. It, right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and they're resisting that now. Why in the world? You know, it's it's not just your own safety as a driver. It's people on the road should be also considered. Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, there are some ways to address this, and one would be that. The liability of SUV owners should be much higher, i.e., their insurance rate should be much higher, not just based on the replacement of the car, which is usually what you end up with. Now, that's un-American. But, but on the liability that you create. I mean, and the, the irony is, and, and John, I think, makes a good point, there's, there is an element of inherent fear and selfishness about driving an SUV, which is it, it's almost become like road warrior out there. I need a bigger vehicle to make myself safer in accidents. And it is true that, you know, most accident fatalities, car versus car or car versus SUV, it's going to be throw weight to some degree. Um, But the uh, the irony is that when you drive an SUV, a truck-like SUV, particularly where the body is very stiff, I mean, the crossover is a little bit of a different issue. It's a car, really. You know, whereas a lot of the SUVs, especially the early ones and the Hummer, they're basically trucks with very stiff, rigid bodies. And they don't absorb shocks very well. So if you're in a SUV of that type and you hit an immobile object, you're much more likely to die in an SUV if you hit a tree or a guard, you know, a guardrail or something than if you were in a car, which absorbs shock much better. But when it's you versus somebody else, the advantage clearly goes to the SUV. Yeah. Now, back to your story, John, about the, uh, the, the driving the Hummer um it didn't sell you on buying a Hummer, apparently. No, it, it didn't, Ed. It was interesting because they had a little uh, test course out back behind the Hummer dealership. <laughs> and, uh, the IEDs, I heard. Oh, yeah, IEDs, everything. The full bore. It was, it was fantastic. Just uh, loved it. But, uh, you know, you could go over like a curb. You could go up a, whatever, 30-degree incline. You could go, you in know. a pedestrian. <laughs> you can miss your driveway and go exactly. on your lawn. Exactly. Right, right. You know, there's a, there's a cutout of Charles there. And you know, kind of run. Run toward him. So, I mean, it was all these things. And, of course, you know, the little kid in me is like, well, you know, there's a little piece to me that goes, well, that's kind of cool, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big toy, in essence. Right. But it's a toy that we can't afford on so many levels. So I actually did get it out on the highway. Uh, to, you know, and it, it, I mean, it drove. How many like states any, did you go through? Yeah, went, uh, it? yeah, I went yeah. down to California. Nice little visit. Came back. Uh, but no, it, obviously, it didn't sell me at all, and uh, and I and I don't understand the appeal or the attraction. Obviously, um, the, why someone would spend, and they're not cheap either. They weren't they weren't cheap then, and you know, SUVs aren't cheap. So, now. why did Hummers? Uh, why, why do Hummers no longer exist? I, I don't know. Do you know that? Um, sure. Well, to some degree. Gas mileage was an issue. The market okay. changed. I mean, wanted to give you people, credit, John. Well, interestingly, <laughs> people who were tall oftentimes thought the Hummer would be good for them, but there was more headroom in a Ford Taurus uh, than there was in a Hummer. So it, it was disadvantageous in that way. You have to climb up into it. There's even more headroom on a bike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the market changed, and um, the crossover became much more uh, attractive, I right. think, you know, the SUV-car hybrid. Well, the only thing the market is, well, the market's being driven by the automotive industry, and, and they're... They're they're going hog wild on SUVs and pickup trucks and and some of them don't even don't even make uh, you know you know Ford is going out of yeah, yeah so they don't even make standard cars anymore yeah. right uh, and I want to talk about that in relation to the other casualty of the SUV craze and that's the uh, climate crisis so uh, let me just take a second though to recognize uh, a couple of the under other uh, underwriters for this program uh, underwriting is also provided by Community CPA. 
with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Uh, Community CPA provides tax, audit, accounting, and business restructuring services. Uh, more information at communitycpa.com. Uh, underwriting also provided by Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines. Ritual serves fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and has an all-vegetarian menu. Okay, so we're going to cut the uh, live stream. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you are looking on watching on live stream, go to valinforum.com slash listen, and the rest of the program will be available live there, and we'll have a podcast for you later in the show, later in the day. All right, so um, uh, climate change. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know where to start with this, but um, everything we see about SUVs and pickup trucks indicates a much higher carbon footprint than standard cars. And, you know, for a while, when, when gas prices went up a few years ago, remember this? Gas prices went way up. People started taking the bus more. They started biking more. They started walking more. And now that the gas prices have come down, that's all changed. So, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm really glad this study has been done to show the concerns about SUVs relevant to pedestrians. But uh, at some point, we're all, um, you know, whether you're a pedestrian or a driver or whatever, we're all being affected by climate change, and and we just don't seem to be making the connection. And it's not just the U.S. Uh, you know, SUV consumption, let's call it, is on the on the rise in China, uh, in Europe, even even in Europe. You know, so <laughs> uh, I I don't I don't know how far we're going to be able to go with this before you know some realization sets in that hey, this is part of the climate problem. Um, thoughts. Well, it's going to be a tough thing to solve right now. Ed. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, we want to solve it before the end of the segment. I mean, I think I think the idea of having the fleet mileage be the goal, in other words, a, a whole inventory of a car company's uh, products. Oh, uh, you know, these these companies are very successful at, at marketing these vehicles. Yeah, I mean, the vast majority of people who drive SUVs and trucks don't need them. Or I'd say at least a well, sizable plurality of don't they need do. them. They that's think correct. they need, to, need them to go right. to the grocery but store. But that's because they're convinced yeah. by the marketing. So, um, you know, marketing electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles could be just as effective if the companies needed to achieve the fleet mileage goals, which, of course, are going to go away and be degraded under this administration. Right. Yeah. I mean, even what Obama did was a fairly modest step forward. Um, and now it's going to be going the other direction. There's, there's also something called the carbon tax, Ed. You know, let's uh, yeah. let's let's tax these carbon um, entities, producing entities, and let's uh, let's invest then in alternative renewable yeah. energies. Well, and, and and the other advantage of centralizing energy production, I mean, there are disadvantages and advantages, but one advantage as you move toward hybrids and electric is that you can influence emissions from a power plant much more effectively than you can influence emissions from millions of cars. Yeah. And but the idea that you're going to be able to prescribe uh, buying SUVs and selling SUVs in this country and other countries is never going to happen. Folks, if you'd like to tune into the, uh, if you'd like to call into the conversation, add your own two cents worth, you can do that at 515-528-8122. That's 515-528-8122. Uh, will take your call and get you in the queue. You know, actually, my favorite thing is when you see the big SUV, you know, with the uh, tinted out windows, you know, the ones that look like they're, you know, the Secret Service, you know, government vehicles. And they might be. They might be. Um, <laughs> well, they might be working for time. You know, and, and they have the, uh, I support the troops on the on the bumper. Uh, of course, not understanding that you support the troops who guarantee access to oil in, in this country 
by their being involved in foreign wars and being deployed in 200-plus countries. Um, yeah, and that you know these people just don't make that connection. I mean, yeah. it's all about what I want. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to understand. It's, it's hard for me to gra- wrap my mind around the fact that people can make that connection. I mean, we're just here's the last day of July, and uh, second to last day of July, I guess. No, whatever. It is. It is the last day of July. Thank you. Um, and uh, we're looking at a heat wave that is unprecedented across the globe. I mean, in Iowa, the last couple of weeks have been pretty darn nice. And a little bit below, quote, normal. But around the world, it is staggering to see just how much intensity this heat has been. Uh, heat has been, you know, all over the place and, and causing deaths and, and damage to crops and uh, forest fires. Uh, I mean, the fires out west, the fire in uh, near Redding, California, mm-hmm. every, every day in the paper, it's, it's bigger. It's 5% contra- contained. It's now covering 127 square miles. Uh, they're they're now looking at uh, they've increased the number of uh, structures that are at risk to five thousand. I don't know how many more warnings we need to get from above that uh, we've got a climate problem. And again, the science is pretty clear. This is being caused by by anthropogenic uh, act, human activities, uh, particularly the burning of fossil fuels. And again, cars and trucks and SUVs are a huge part of that uh, that carbon footprint. And so what's missing? Why can't we, you know, take what's going on right in front of us and take the next logical step and say, okay, well, instead of actually building more of these things that are causing more of the problem, instead of reducing the the fuel efficiency standard, maybe we need to go the other direction before this problem gets even worse. What am I missing? Why can't we make that that leap? It's not a very it's not a very big leap. Well, that's, well, an I, I, that's an easy question. That is the difficulty of the environmental movement. Um, because we are a nation, and, and, and not just our nation, but first world and developing nations, all are the same. And even the argument over GDP is the same, which is the idea that continuing to consume is somehow an inherent good um, is at the basis of what we believe. And so where is, the, where is the upside to reducing consumption? Survival. But it's often to the future. And the, the issues are, are of such subtlety in many ways that um, because for but every they, person... I mean, the future is now. No, but for every person, Ed, who's talking about the forest fires out west the way you are, first of all, it's alien to a huge part of the country. Uh, a lot of these areas, I mean, I... I I, I've been up in the Redding area, and, and I live in, in Northern California. I've sucked down the air from the fires in, in Northern California for years. Um, they're remote. They don't have a, a lot of meaning to people who live elsewhere. Um, and I, who's going to make the sacrifice? That's the issue. And what's painted is that the economy will suffer if we make sacrifices, such as consuming less fossil fuel. Let, let me let me jump in and just say that um, I, I do I do have some hope, uh, you know, rare as you know, small as it might be, but I do think that there's some chance that I do think people can change and societies and, and cultures can change, and I think one direction we we and our you know Ed and I Charles 
we shouldn't just be scolds, I don't think, in terms of wagging mm-hmm. our finger and saying, oh, these SUV drivers, they don't know, you know, look at look at these stupid useless vehicles, you know. Um, <laughs> Is that what it stands for? That's what it stands for, okay. actually. <laughs> but, you know, we, we sh- and, 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 and Ed, I know you do a lot, but we really should be also trumpeting the joys of, of biking and, and the benefits yeah. of, of biking and walking. Um, it's tremendous. You, you look at, you can tick off in your hand all the... All the things that, for your health, for the environment, for uh, two hands, for two hands. Keep go, keep going. Uh, cost, bring, bring the toes into it. Cost wise, right? Why not? Right. Um, you know, about a year ago, uh, my wife and I each got uh, electric assisted bikes. Oh, che- cheater bikes. Is cheater bikes. Yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed says it's cheating. Um, I, I think that it's fantastic, and yeah, I, I, agree. I, I think it could help a certain market, a certain portion of people who think either biking's too hard, you're going to get too hot. Um, it's not fast enough. I can't get that. You know, all the different excuses people give. These, the darn thing is fun. And I think if we could sort of market fun to a certain degree and sort of promote the, um, the benefits of, of, of both biking and walking and how it builds community, you can't talk to somebody as you whiz by them in your SUV. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you go by somebody on a bike or when you're walking, you can actually stop, talk, yeah. you can build some social capital. Uh, there are a lot of benefits to what we're proposing, um, and, and, and of course, you know, saving the planet would be a nice sidebar. Yeah, a nice, a nice <laughs> yeah. But I mean, unfortunately, yeah. people, the big issue, the big questions are hard for people to wrap their minds around yeah. on a day-to-day basis. It is remarkable but, to me that people will spend money on a health club, drive there, and ride a stationary bicycle. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of absurd <laughs> right. on, on a that beautiful on a beautiful seventy-degree day. day. Yes, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and it's it's possible to do year-round. I, I bike and walk year-round, as I know Ed does. And uh, and I love it. It's yeah. uh, it's part of who I am, and I think others would love it too. All right, Charles. Enough of that optimism. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I think there are there are social changes that are occurring that will rebound to um, being better environmentally. For instance, uh, millennials' car ownership is down, yeah. way down. Way down. Yeah. Home ownership way down. Yeah. Um, and some of it is, I think, cultural because of their view of being part of a collective as opposed to the boomers, you know, who are rape and pillage. Um, and and also because of the economics. The economics yeah. of a car don't make sense if you're living in a city. Right. You know, and, and those are the kind of changes, I think, that um, will, with time, perhaps, you know, have people change their minds. But it's, I agree, John, it's just too hard. It's too hard to wrap your mind around the fact that a one-degree change in water temperature in the, in the you know, Caribbean can influence the weather all over this country and all over this hemisphere. Um, yeah. You know, and saying, well, bleaching coral is a terrible thing. You know, for most people, thinking about the ocean, it's Shark Week. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just too much. Or it's the seafood special. It is, it is too much. Yeah. But part of it, you're right, is, is the left environmentalists can be real scolds. I mean, I was re- reading a fascinating article about um, the issue of how many native people lived on uh, in North America at the time of the landing of Columbus. You know, and earlier estimates were about one and a half million, oh. which <clears throat> leaves the fantasy of the environmental pristine, you know, uh, hemisphere intact, when in fact there was probably upwards of 200 to 300 million, most of whom were killed by diseases that they were not immune to. Yeah. That were not intentionally brought to them by Europeans, but well, it, it helped in terms of the justification for colonization to downplay the number of people. Exactly, and and, and, and that's exactly right, and, and so that's part of it. And then, but uh, by the same token, environmentalists did don't want to see 
the degradation that 200 million native people also brought to our environment. They changed the environment from heavily wooded to prairie because it was advantageous to them. That's why, for instance, the bison became a, a predominant species yeah. on, in North America. So it, there's a lot of a lot on our side of the argument that people find unpalatable too. But I think the use of the word scolds is, is a particularly yeah. good one. Yeah, so, uh, again, we're talking about, uh, John, you were talking about trying to, uh, f- encouraging folks to do more with uh, sustainable living practices, riding a bike, walking. Um, I, I assume you'd also agree that it's a great idea to grow your own food when you can For in sure. your yard. For sure. But, but uh, transportation options are much more limited in rural America. Uh, there aren't too many places that you can safely or even logistically because of distance bike or walk. I mean, it's not uncommon, you know, if, even if you farm out in, in, in rural Iowa, for example, you've got a second job, and that second job is in a town maybe 5, 10, 20, or more miles away. You know, part of the challenge, I think, is to move beyond, you know, just, just, just being able to drive, to have, have a a transportation system that includes regular bus service, regular train service, but I don't know how we get back to having any kind of a train infrastructure without a lot more land use changes that are probably going to be, pro- you know, would be, would be problematic in their own way. And if we could, if we can spend seven hundred twenty billion dollars a year on the military, we could invest a whole lot in public transport. Oh, that's crazy talk. I know it. There, <laughs> there I go again. But with the money's there, the will has to be. Well, and, and, and the effect of that would be much greater now than it was 50 years ago because the population in the United States is much more heavily concentrated in cities. Um, I would even argue with Ed that going out to the rural areas and saying we're going to make these kind of changes is probably not productive enough uh, to justify doing that. And these vehicles are useful to people who live in rural areas, trucks and SUVs. The, the issue is with the population heavily concentrated in cities now, the impact of public transportation would be that much greater. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, thanks for joining us today, uh, John. You're welcome, uh, Ed. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> he actually believes that. I actually believe that it. it was good for you to join us. Anyway, thanks, Ed. And don't get, I assume you're on your bike and don't get hit by an SUV on the way back to work. Charles is going to stick around with us, folks. We'll be uh, talking, uh, talking um, about some other stuff when we come back from a break. We'll be talking about Republicans taking another uh, run at repealing the ACA. We'll also talk about how President Trump's boasts on the economy don't quite make sense when you look at them, well, with something as crazy as the facts. We'll also talk about the indictment of Maria Butina and how that could be a lot of trouble for President Trump and the NRA. Before we take a short break here for uh, for some uh, content from Lorena, I want to uh, recognize a couple of our other underwriters. I want to recognize the underwriting provided by Sargent's Garage, located north of downtown Des Moines. Since 97, 1997, Sargent's has worked on all makes and models of both domestic and import vehicles. Also want to recognize uh, Story County Veterinary Clinic, operated by Dr. Kim Holding. Uh, Dr. Holding has practiced veterinary medicine in central Iowa for over 30 years. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. about love I'm not the guy who cared about fortunes and such never cared much oh look at me now I never knew the technique of kissing to our conversation here on the Fallon forum 
uh, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. Uh, Charles Goldman in the studio with me. And before we start talking about Trump and the economy and facts, I want to take a second to recognize a couple of the local businesses that provide underwriting for this program, Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines. 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They also operate a booth at the downtown Des Moines Farmer's Market most Saturdays. Underwriting also provided by catering by Sid. Owner Sid Cohn uses fresh local ingredients and all of her catering arrangements are custom made. More information at cateringbysid.com. That's cateringbycyd.com. All right, so later in the program, we're going to be talking about the Affordable Care Act, again under attack by congressional Republicans. And on our community-owned stations, we'll also talk about the indictment of Maria Butina, the um, feisty 29-year-old spy. Uh, the media, of course, is focusing on the, the sex scandal part of it, but there's a lot worse stuff going on than that. Right. There's a lot of people streaming The Americans now <clears throat> on uh, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But first, let's talk about the economy because... Well, before uh, we talk about the economy, all I, right, I, all I right. just wanted to read something. Okay. Because you asked earlier in the show <clears throat> why Americans don't get it about climate change. And yep. so um, this is just a little, a little tabloid factoid on an American tourist who caused a panic at an Austrian airport when she tried to carry an unexploded World War II artillery shell onto her flight home. What was this? <laughs> this is some American tourist. The 24-year-old tourist found the foot-long shell while she was hiking in Austria, cleaned it up because she didn't want to get her suitcase dirty, <laughs> and decided it would be a great idea to carry it. Onto oh, the plane. Oh, and then she somehow <laughs> failed to get it to TSA or the European well, equivalent? the European equivalent. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> I think when we have people of that level of um, intelligence yeah. operating, it is a little difficult to get the subtleties of uh, climate change. Yeah, wow, okay. Well, a good find, though. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the economy. Trump is continually telling us that it's the best ever, that he's responsible, and yet the data suggests that maybe it's not quite the, well, not quite the case. Well, I, I think more importantly than, like, fact-checking Trump again, okay, because we understand— It gets old after a while, doesn't it? Right, it does get old. I mean, so what did he say? I mean, he said this is the greatest growth in the economy ever. No. 4% is well within the range of, uh, you know, what other— what has been done in the last 15 years. Well, and the economy just entered its 10th year of growth— and, right. I mean, and remember, President Obama inherited a recession, and, and remember, a this, great recession. This is annualized. That means right. that if you extrapolated from the estimates for these three months of activity, you get to the 4% level. So let's move away from that because it doesn't really matter to a, an American worker whether the GDP is growing or not. The question is, why is it growing? How did they get there? And what do you see in your own pocketbook. And, you know, this whole thing with tariffs and this GDP is, is important, is important because um, there, there is a common factor here. When we have a, a trade deficit with another country, right. it does, to some degree, advantage the United States because, essentially, that other country is lending us that money to spend. Right? It's deficit spending. That goes into the GDP. When we deficit spend at the federal level, which now we're going to see based on you know, the recalculations from the corporate uh, <clears throat> recapture coming back from overseas and the tax cuts, the 
you know, the government is now estimating that the deficit is going to be double what they said it was going to be from the tax bill, over a billion, over a trillion dollars. That also is going back to to the GDP. Well, surely you're not suggesting that those are good things in the long run. Well, all these things tend, to, you know, trade deficits keep interest rates down in the United States. Ultimately, if you produce more and you produce more domestically, interest rates are going to have to go up. Yeah, but it also means that we're purchasing more goods from overseas that could have and probably used to be produced here in the U.S. Right, and, and you've also... It's bad now, for jobs, you've also, communities. No, but first of all, you can get... Pro- productivity increases can be gotten without humans. And so if you want to bring... <laughs> right, water buffalo. If you want to bring production back to the United <laughs> States, where is the equation going to be that these companies are going to do it by hiring more humans? They'll just have robots do it. That's exactly what's happened. See, the, the, the problem is that this is, again, something difficult to, to, to understand. Consumer spending has been driving the American economy for years. Consumer spending is now at a five-year low mm-hmm. because American consumers are running out of debt right. to use to fund their spending. Well, running, out, running out of money, period. That's correct. Yeah, it's, it's, and if inflation comes back to a higher level then whatever little they've gotten out of the tax cuts, the supposed great bonuses and wage gains that we're not seeing any of anymore, because the bonuses were a one-shot deal because they were given, the corporations were given the tax advantage to do it before the end of last year. Um, Inflation is going to start cutting into potentially stagnant wages, and we've had stagnant wages for 40 years. So the, the fixation on GDP begs a lot of questions. And when people start seeing that, it's going to be harder to borrow money because it's going to be at a higher rate. When corporations start seeing it's going to be at a higher rate, it's going to negate any of the advantages. Now, yeah. there's, there's other reasons why the GDP went up this quarter. There were some one, probably one-time things. But you, I mean, at the bottom line, Trump, Trump's boasts about the economy are, are empty, are hollow, are not supported by facts. Uh, and and the, the, the best way to understand that is to look at the look at the look at the the, the you know the, the challenges facing average Americans. Most people are not doing better. That's correct. The wages are stagnant compared to inflation. Well, but that's because we're not demanding, and we haven't demanded for many many decades, not just from Trump but from other politicians, a coherent plan. Right. The other thing, of course, is that as our infrastructure deteriorates and does not get addressed. The ability to, to continue to expand your economy is going to disappear. Right. As you let health care costs go unchecked, mm-hmm. your ability to expand your economy and offer more jobs is going to disappear. Right. And as you allow corporations to socialize all of the downsides the environmental of production costs, yeah, in this country yep. Yep. onto the American taxpayer, <clears throat> then what the American taxpayer is going to see – yeah. Is again, and, and I don't know what percentage of the majority of Americans who are thus being, you know, affected adversely by these, you know, these, these policy changes, this economic uh, stratification. I don't know what percentage uh, actually understand what's going on, but I do think it's probably a majority of the folks who are being affected. But I think what's really going to impact Trump's direction and his, and, his, and his eventual political viability more than anything is growing opposition among the elite. What they see happening is not good for their portion of the economy either, which is, again, huge. But, you know, I mean, 500 of, of the uh, Koch brothers 
biggest supporters. They're they're big five hundred donors, and these are these are donors who contribute at least a hundred thousand bucks a year to the network's top causes. They met uh, just this past week, I believe, this weekend, and, um, and they, they of course met at a luxury resort, um, the um, the Broadmoor Hotel. <laughs> Where was this? Uh, that was in oh, Colorado uh, Springs. Was it uh, Colorado Springs? Yeah, I think so. Okay, but they. Um, but of course, it had to be a luxurious hotel. But they—they're they, starting to think. I mean, and their rhetoric is indicating that. Are you, are you engaging in class warfare here? That they don't have the right to go to luxurious. No, hotels? no. I—I—I I, I think that I think I want to see them spend more time at the luxurious hotels because right. what's coming out of these meetings is some sanity. I mean, I don't usually use the word sanity and Koch brothers in the same sentence, but you know, compared to Trump, they're making some sense and they're concerned about where he's taking this country and well, the what economy. Did they say? Well, uh, a lot of things. Um, uh, Charles Koch, he slammed Donald Trump's trade tariff Saturday as, quote, protectionism that hurts American businesses and consumers. They uh, describe this as, as, a, as what's coming from the White House as divisiveness causing long-term damage. Um, and, uh, and, and, the, and the folks involved with this network of 500 donors who each contribute 100 grand a year, you know, they're they're getting, they're getting frustrated with what they see as this um, this you know runaway government spending. This is runaway government spending on a Republican president. Okay, mm. I mean we've seen that before, but they're actually criticizing it now, and they're criticizing the the, the Trump administration's um, policies on immigration. Well, you know, how, how often do you see the biggest Republican donors criticizing a Republican president or Congress on immigration? They're also, of course, criticizing Trump's. Um, uh, Trump's tariffs with uh, China, uh, the, the, the trade war that escalated between Mexico and Canada and Europe. Uh, these aren't good for their businesses as well. And um, one of their big members, I love this quote from James Davis. He's a member of this network. He's one of the $100,000 donors. He said, he said, regarding the farm bailout, remember now, you know, farmers are being hurt by... Mm-hmm. By the um, tariffs, right? And so, what does um, you know? What does Trump do? Well, he bails them out. <laughs> well, this this one of the Koch brothers' allies, I think, made sense. James Davis says, "Quote: You can't make this up. We put tariffs supposedly to put pressure on China. Then it actually hurts farmers here. Crops waste away in the field, and then you pull a Depression era program out to bail out farmers. But who's underwriting our debt? So, yeah, the, the <laughs> I mean." The farm bailout makes no sense because it's been it's been caused by, you know, economic policies of the Trump administration. So I think I think what's happening here, Charles, is that these folks are getting ready to dump Trump. I thought it would have happened before the midterms. Maybe it will happen before the midterms. But if it doesn't happen before the midterms, he's not going to be around in 2020. That's my prediction. And I think you're seeing it right here in their response to his economic policies. Uh, it, I think it totally depends on whom the Democrats offer up. Now, if the Democrats are going to offer up, they their big their big issue right now is health care. And while Medicare for all sounds like a great idea, I mean, I think in terms of I agree with that idea. The cost of that is going to be well in the excess of three to four trillion dollars. Bernie Sanders' estimate is way below what it's going to cost. How do you know? Because people who are health economists have already pointed out it's just not possible, especially with the fact that you have continuing advances that bring more and more expensive interventions into play, that you can do this unless you're going to change it to a 
catastrophic health insurance for most people and then a supplement for those who can afford it to get the bells and whistles, which is not what he's talking about. So anything that's going to increase government spending to that degree is going to drive interest rates up. And it's going to increase the deficit. And I'm not sure really where the right-wingers of the Koch types are coming from in terms of their problems with tariffs, et cetera. Um, they're in a lot of wide-ranging businesses, some of them that are helped by the tariffs and some of them that aren't. So um, I, I don't see them dumping Trump. I, I think part of the problem is that Trump does not have people around him who are, are – I mean, he's got a TV economist – Running the economy. Right well, now. yeah, okay, and that's probably also tro- troubling to the, tr- the the Koch brother network. Right. I mean, I, I've never seen this kind of criticism, uh, even of Trump, uh, from the uh, face it. The, the, the Koch brothers are the oligarchy that really run this country anymore, and they're among the oligarchs akin to the Putin oligarchs. Yeah, that, that right. Do, in the background, wield more power than the people in general do. Yes, and and and, they will, and actually wield more power than the people who are put up front as the de facto political leaders. Well, but I think that's true of all politicians because <clears throat> well, all politicians that are bought and paid for it. That's why I'm well, which ones aren't. Well, I, I was very impressed with Alexandria Cortez or Ocasio Cortez who got elected without any corporate. Well, <clears throat> got nominated and will probably be elected without any any corporate PAC money and more. And and there are. You think she'd win in Montana? Um, <clears throat> I think that message, with modifications, would resonate in a lot of places. You know, I'm I mean, just not sure. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, her district is very, um, very New York, very appropriate yeah. for what her message is. Um, I, I, I've said this before. We need people to teach Americans about how all these things come together, rather than just giving them. 15-second sound bites. You know, I'm personally tired of watching MSNBC. I'm sick of hearing about, you know, the Stormy Daniels and what what Trump tweeted. There's so much going on in the background. We've said this well, before. Well, the background is what's really affecting right. us in the long haul. Right. I it's mean, things, some things get a coverage, like Brent Kavanaugh, the nomination, mm-hmm. nominee for the Supreme Court, and that's huge. Right, but we don't see the selling off of federal lands for extraction. We don't talk about our role and what's going on in the Holocaust <clears throat> of Yemen. You know, these are stories that Americans do need to know about. Instead, right. they're given, you know, the, the coverage. Uh, I'm just tired of hearing yeah. what, what Trump is. My, my point is I think, I think that uh, can- candidates, whether they're Democrat or Republican, who run with a more progressive populist message where they can show very clearly that they're not tied to the elite, that they're not connected to Wall Street. I mean, that was part of I, Hillary. I, I absolutely agree <clears throat> with you there. That was part of Hillary Clinton's problem. I absolutely agree I mean, agree with Donald you. Trump is as 1% as anybody in this country. And, probably and, but, not. But, well, probably not. Well, he was probably not worth anything. Well, <laughs> well, I thought he had a Gucci store worth more than uh, more than uh, Mitt Romney's well, entire value. The, whoever, whoever supplied the cash for that store, is <laughs> right, the right. One that really but is. anyway, the um, you know Hillary Clinton was painted as the corporate candidate, the elite candidate, the mm-hmm. the one who was out of touch with the masses, right? And um, and yeah, there's some truth to that, but but the. Um, you know, it's easy to t- make a tar- target out of her when she gets what two hundred grand for giving a speech to Wall Street. 
Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that was, I think, on multiple occasions of memory service. Yeah, no, no. I mean, and, so, and the so, irony is we're claiming the Russians were able to intervene in our election spending about $10 million on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And here we have people whoring themselves for tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. And no, no I agree. You're absolutely yeah. right. And when, when candidates make it clear who they stand for by making a decision as to how they're going to fund their campaign mm-hmm. and make it clear through their platform that – their their interests are entirely with the, the general public. I think that resonates beyond progressive, you know, New York, uh, and I and I hope to see it tested soon. You know, again, I, 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 nobody can say for sure, but I think a lot of folks are saying that if if a if a more if a less status quo candidate mm. had challenged, had been up against Donald Trump, Donald Trump would not be president today. I mean, I, I would agree with that. But I, again, I think that uh, the message remains incoherent to both the average American and to those who I, I think are inclined towards progressivism. And, you know, the irony, of course, is that progressivism saved capitalism. Pro- progressivism saved the American economy coming out of the 1930s. Now, I mean, the, the right wing will say, no, it was World War II. <laughs> that saved it. Right. But um, just like they'll say it wasn't Mikhail Gorbachev that uh, brought the wall down in Berlin. It was Ronald Reagan. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. It was. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not a Reagan fan for many, many reasons. But I think in many ways he did. He did foster the ending of the. Of, of the wall and, and of the oh, man, cold you've war. You've gone over the dark side. No, I mean, <laughs> I, no, I, I, think, I think Reagan's negotiations with Gorbachev were very instrumental. Um, and we bankrupted the Russian economy by saying we were going to build something we never could build. Okay, so on that, on that account, bringing it full circle to current times, are, are Trump's uh, friendly overtures toward Putin potentially helpful, economically or otherwise? Um. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't see that we should be at this point going back to a Cold War status with Russia. Russia now uh, is weaponized in a way that they're much more dangerous to us. I mean, you know, Americans, Americans operate under the delusion that we have such a dominant military advantage that we can go do what we want. And we can it see it doesn't take too many nuclear weapons to ruin your day. Well, and especially nuclear weapons that are hypersonic and cannot be. Uh, detected or, or, or in any way deflected. So, and, and the problem has become that as we've weakened our conventional forces and decided that it's our right to intervene in 200-plus countries, we've made the backdrop to almost everything. Well, we have nuclear weapons. So we've made it actually a more dangerous time in that yeah. regard. No, I, I don't have a problem with, with decreasing tensions with the Russians. And do you think Trump has done that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that he knows how he's done it. <laughs> but I, I, who knows what he's done? It was a private meeting. Nobody knows really what right. happened there. We can't trust Trump to tell us the truth about what happened. Right. You know. I, but um, but the uh, it is interesting to me that historically, when a U.S. president or U.S. leaders meet with uh, a key foreign a- foreign adversary. That's usually regarded as a positive step. I mean, you remember when Khrushchev came to the U.S., mm-hmm. came to Iowa, in fact. Right. You know, came to tour the uh, Garst Farm, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, uh, not too far away in Coon Rapids. And, and that was um, – there was criticism of that, of course. You know? Yeah, I mean, once again, uh, I mean, but it was, we're, we're presented it, with a very simplistic view of, of Russia 
Um, and, and, and let's be clear, Putin is not Russia. Putin is the head of Russia's government. The government and the country are not synonymous. And, very, very, and, and a very, very wealthy member of Russian's oligarchy. That's correct. <laughs> Largely because he's been able to use his political power to become incredibly wealthy. That's right. Yeah. And to some degree, are American politicians any better? Yeah. No, uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> no, not, I, I, not, I sound like Trump was talking about going, well, Americans are killers too, just like everybody else. But no, I mean, I, I it, it, again, the, the way things are presented is so simplistic. For you know, we need we phony up enemies. Now, I mean, Russia's not a phony enemy. It's a nuclear power that is not allied with us. And that is run but by a dictator up, who has done some pretty horrible things in his own country and on, on the borders and of his so country. So have the Saudis. Yeah, I know. We pick and choose. Yeah, I mean, even in the even the greatest generation, what did we do? We picked Joe, uh, Papa Joe, right? <laughs> Papa Joe who killed probably as many people as Hitler did in terms of extermination camps, you know, or just starving people to death. So, uh, I, but I don't Papa want, Joe, yeah, yeah, Joseph, Joseph Joe Stalin, Stalin yes. Right. You, you call him Joe. And, yeah, I, don't right. want to, I, I just don't want to start this whole yeah. American exceptionalism and high. Right, 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 right. But I'm, but I'm thinking, you know, all right. I don't think it's a bad thing that Trump met with Putin. I just think it's bad how he managed it and what he came, what he came away, what came away from that. You know, basically siding with Putin that uh, that the um, the investigation conducted by our authorities into their meddling with our election was 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 off base. I mean, he retracted that in the most awkward retraction I've ever seen. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's bad that they're meeting. No. And you don't either. No. But, cause, but a lot of Democrats would think, oh, they shouldn't even be talking, even though Democrats would historically support that happening if it was a Democratic president. Yeah. I, anything that would demilitarize this country would be a good thing at this point. Providing it demilitarized the, uh, the, uh, the Russia, and Russia and China as well. <laughs> Well, but, yeah. you know, I mean, again, we're not, we're not going to beat either of these countries with conventional forces. And, and a, a, a strategy that simply says, I mean, how are we going to defend Japan? Right? We tell the Japanese to, to, to de- disarm and we'll protect you with nuclear weapons. Right? Yeah. How are we going to defend Taiwan? Same. Yeah. There's a danger to that. Howdy do me. Just watch me smile. Fare thee well, me after all. All right, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Uh, Charles Goldman here with me, Ed Fallon, as we discuss the latest Republican effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. Dr. Charles, with us in the studio, what do you think? Well, um, it never goes away. You know, repeal and replace never goes away. Uh, but we now know there's no replace. There's just repeal. Um, and it's interesting because the Democrats are um, very anxious to run on health care as an issue, as a, in fact, perhaps their biggest issue in the midterms. Right. So what has happened is that, as you remember, if you may remember, that you know before the tax cut passed, not uh, you know what they call it a tax reform, but really it was just tax, tax reform. Cut. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, the, the Republicans could not pass any legislation uh, to, you know, truly reform the ACA. And um, they came up with the Cassidy-Graham bill, which lost. That was the last iteration. So they're at it once again. Um, they're bringing back a version of Cassidy-Graham, which is very similar and in some ways worse, 
they're going to eliminate um, the present Medicaid system for reimbursing states that expanded Medicaid and bring back block grants. Which is most states. I mean, didn't Maine and one other state just come online? Uh, well, no, because the governor in Maine has repealed uh, multiple things coming out of the legislature. Um, Okay. To that effect, after they also had a public referendum, which was in favor of expanding Medicaid. Right, because who cares what the public thinks? Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to go to block grants, but the block grants will not be based on expenditures in the state. They'll be based on numbers of low-income people that theoretically would qualify for Medicaid, which, of course, will be a huge cut in funding to states like California, Maine, Virginia, others that, that have expanded. Um, they also are going to get rid of the subsidies to the private insurers to cover the fact that they're taking on higher risk people, which will, uh, of course, uh, make the premiums almost unaffordable. This is all ironic, of course, because the ACA was basically Republican ideas. Right. We understand I mean, that. Romney and other right. Republicans ran, uh, used to offer that as a viable Solution to some of the health care problems it, it kind of is an alternative to a single-payer or Medicaid-for-all system. Well, what, what do you believe is their main goal here? Well, uh, for a while, I think it was just to try to make President Obama look bad, but that's not an issue anymore. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that, and again, I, I really doubt they have any real prospect of passing this. Would you agree with that? Well, they certainly won't if the Democrats pick up seats. Even before. I mean, yeah. they're not, they're not going to do it this year. Uh, no, because it would just hand the Democrats a, sure. a an issue, which so, is their favorite all right, issue. So you, you tell me, what do you think their main reason is? Oh, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely clear what their main issue is here, is that they don't want – affluent people don't want to pay taxes for insurance for people who, who are low income or moderate income. And the funny thing is is that they're also going to then screw the individual market for people who, you know, make up – yeah, who make up uh, – the, a large majority of, of people in that the insurance companies now not knowing if they're ever going to get the subsidies, now not knowing what the individual market's going to look like, because now it's going to go back to state to state again. They're going to get rid of the, the federal mandates about what the insurance has to cover, and the states are going to have to go back to figuring out pricing and, and coverage schemes. In the end, doesn't all this just push us closer to some kind of Medicaid for all system? Well, it'll just go back to the old system, which was terrible before. And well, but, we, but, we didn't but, end up with but, Medicaid for all and Medicare for all. But, but at some point, the, the terrible old system is going it, to – it's, it's just going to be revealed for the terrible old system that it is. I, and something reasonable and functional and sustainable is going to take its place. And again, we only have to look at any other developed country in the world to see that no one does it this way and everybody else pays less money for – more service. Uh, you know, I, I wish that were true, but the reality is, is it's just going back to a system that already existed and previously, and it didn't we, lead we, to we, Medicare we, for all. Who's going back to it? We are. We are. Right. We're going back to a system of unbridled insurance premium increases, where the only people who have right, decent insurance that's, that's will my, be employed by certain corporations. My, my point is that's not sustainable. That that's not going to last. There's no way that can persist. Right now, we're seeing, you know, this this again push for repealing, replacing. The Affordable Care Act, which was, again, not that progressive, not that – it didn't take us at all out of the existing insurance-based system. It just kind of made it a little more friendly through things like uh, you know, coverage of, of your kid up to age 26, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, not being able to deny people based on pre-existing conditions, but those are all tweaks to a system that is not working. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But the problem is, is that you also have a huge portion of the country that believes that socialized medicine is government interference in their freedom to do whatever they want medical, you know, in terms of getting medical care. And a lot of people believe that as a baseline principle. So, I mean, you may be right. I hope you're right because the Republican plans are horrible. Yeah. And they're craven, to be perfectly honest. Well, and again, what we have, the ACA is itself a Republican plan. Yes. <laughs> Adopted by a Democratic right. president. And, and leaving, leaving the health insurers at the fulcrum of the system is a mistake. So I think at some point that's going to change. Um, hey, we've got to run to a short break here, but folks, stick around. We're going to talk about Maria Budina. Your lips were like a red and ruby chalice, warmer than the summer night. The clouds were like an alabaster palace, rising to a snowy high. Welcome back, folks. Ed Fallon with you here and Dr. Charles Goldman. Uh, so, a Russian spy was captured. Well, was captured, was indicted recently. She was a Russian influencer. Yeah, a Russian influencer. That's a well, no, I mean, she, was, she was out there li- making liaison with, with certain conservative entities, in particular the NRA, that the Russians have found to be potentially useful in the same way they have found right-wing uh, you know, white supremacist groups in Europe. But fo- focusing on the, uh, the the sex scandal part of this, forget is, the sex scandal. Right, part. exactly. The, I mean, what this really is uh, potentially, as, as this plays into the whole investigation of collusion with Russia, I think it's going to show that there that collusion also involves the NRA, also involves some elements of the Christian right, mm-hmm. and uh, could be very damaging beyond just whatever impact it has on the Trump presidency. Well, uh, you know, one question you have to ask is. Russia is a, is a country with extreme gun control laws. The only thing you can own as, in, as a Russian public member is a shotgun. Or a squirt gun. No, <laughs> a squirt gun. You can't even own an AK-47, yeah. um, which, of course, you know, they are the inventors of. <laughs> um, you cannot own a handgun in Russia. So why exactly would the NRA be you know, in bed with a government which is, in fact, the, the ma- ultimate manifestation of gun control? out right. there right now, compared, especially compared to ours. I, I, would, I would suggest to the listeners that they pick up an article which dates back to April 2017. And all of the information about Butina is there, the information about Franklin Graham, whose father was an ardent anti-communist. The NRA leader, Franklin Graham. No, yeah. no, 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 not the NRA leader. Oh, oh, oh Franklin Graham, the evangelical Christian, was in Russia making league with Putin, sure. talking about what a great protector of Christianity he was. Oh, yeah, right? Um, this article <laughs> is called Guns and Religion, How American Conservatives Grew Closer to Putin's Russia. This is from April 30th, 2017. This is more than a year ago. In which publication? Washington Post, fake news, of course. Um, <laughs> Rosalind <laughs> Heidemann and Ta- Tom Hamburger. Go online and read that article and tell me if this is not an odd confluence of people. So where do you think it's going to lead? I mean, do you, I, mean I, I think— Oh, it's clearly going to lead back to, to the Russians trying to influence American elections, using this as a vehicle. So I keep looking for the silver bullet that's finally going to tank the Trump administration. Is this it? No, because there's just too many people out there who don't care. Well, what is the silver bullet? An election in which he is is beaten. In 2020? Yeah. All right, I think it's going to happen before then. Yeah. 
We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum, folks. Ed Fallon with you here broadcasting live from Lorena in Des Moines, Iowa.